Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 60 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're going to discuss the big Liverpool-Manchester United matchup, Chelsea versus Arsenal, the problems at Manchester United, and how Liverpool just keep on running through the Premier League. Uh, to get things started, we got to talk about the Liverpool-Manchester United matchup. It was a big matchup. Um, huge game for both clubs for different reasons. Obviously, Liverpool wanted to continue their undefeated streak and United need to start picking up some points if they want to make a top four challenge. But unfortunately for United, Liverpool did pick up a 2-0 victory. Uh, Liverpool basically sealing the game up uh, at the end when United basically sent all their players forward and Salah was 1v1 and just basically you know, put the ball in the back of the net and then Ali Son came, came out to him and celebrated. But... <laughs> I mean, I guess, Tyler, you could speak about Liverpool because I don't want to say too much, too many good things about them right now. <laughs> yeah, Liverpool came into this game like basically guns blazing. It was basically just chance after chance after chance. And United just on the back foot for most of the game. But I will I'll give it to United for the end of the first half when it looks like they had a few chances, like a few string of chances, but they just couldn't really get a clear opportunity because Liverpool's defense just kind of shut them down and I would say the the last the loss of Marcus Rashford in that starting eleven for Manchester United really put them back, and I think that's what helps Liverpool keep on the front foot and put United on the back foot. I also saw that United had a formation where they had Brendan Williams and Den James playing as kind of like wide fullbacks, but like not exactly defenders, but just there to make sure that Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andrew Robertson were always on watch whenever they went up to attack. But even then, I still feel like it was pretty ineffective. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had the right idea, I feel like, because a lot of the creativity in Liverpool's attacks come from their fullback. So it'd be the smart idea to stop that. But even then, having dedicated players just to look after them, it still didn't really work. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was just such a tough display. I mean, I mean, Liverpool, you know, the big man Van Dyke scoring again. And then, you know, I let you speak about Mo Salah getting his first goal against Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot at the very end of the game when United, as you mentioned, put all their players forward for a corner kick. They, they're just left wide open for a quick counterattack, which Ali Sun, he just basically punted the ball after stopping the corner. And then he got an assist. <laughs> basically at the very end of the game when Salah slotted his punt away for a the second goal of the game but if you watch that game usually you would actually see Alisson run across the entire field just to celebrate Salah at the very end of the game so this game meant a lot to Liverpool because it was the 20th home win or 19th home win in a row for this team in the Premier League and also it was the 14th set piece goal this season so there's a lot of stuff. There's like a lot of records being put for this game. And I would say it was their 40th game unbeaten. So it just looks yeah, like an insane amount of records just being broken just week after week because it's just such a crazy string of events going on. Yeah, I mean, it's just no one can beat them. And, you know, they just beat Wolves today, which meant they are unbeaten in 40, in 40 Premier League games, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, we could... 
say like bright things about Liverpool all day if we wanted to, but the real story I would say right now is Manchester United because right after that game, they hosted Burnley and ended up losing 2-0 to Burnley, which, you know, to be fair, this season isn't that shocking because they've lost to some of the lower the teams in the lower half of the table, but it was the way they lost, just how bad and how toxic it was. I texted Tyler, the Old Trafford kind of felt like the Emirates. <laughs> and it honestly did, because if you watch this game, uh, so many of the fans actually got up and left the stadium in protest of the Glazers, who are the owners of Manchester United, and Ed Woodward, who is the chief ex- ex- executive officer, who in correlation, those two kind of make most of the transfer decisions. And some of the biggest things that a lot of pundits and a lot of fans are very frustrated with is that there's no technical director of football at Manchester United. There is no guy, there's no one there that has actually played the game that actually knows the inner workings of how to successfully build the team and what to look out for. It's just a bunch of businessmen making, buying players. And at the end of the day, if they continue to get money, nothing's going to change. And that's why fans are getting so frustrated at this point because they're so cheap. I know you could look at like the wage bill in terms of, you know, they spent a lot of money, but they spent money with no clear direction. It was just kind of buying players off the market whenever they had a new manager come in. And that's been one of the biggest reasons why I don't think a new manager will fix anything because, you know, a new manager will come in with his philosophy, his style of play. And what you're going to do is you're going to just buy all the players he wants. And then and after two years, he doesn't work out. You bring in a new manager. He brings in the players he wants and you just waste money that way. Instead, what they should have been doing is they should have got someone that will oversee everything on the football side. And they bring in a manager that fits that mold of what the technical technical director wants this Manchester United team to play as. Uh, because every big club has it, and Manchester United don't have it. Um, and that, that's, to me, is the most frustrating thing. And they have not made any clear indication that they are willing to sign. They're trying to sign people. They're basically trying FC at this point, trying to sign midfielders. Trying FC. Uh, <laughs> but if, uh, they're so... There's so such a lack of depth in the squad that if Fred and Matic literally go out with any type of injury or need rest, there's no one they can play because McTominay's still out, Paul Pogba's still out. Um, obviously, Marcus Rashford's a forward, but he's out. So if Martial or Dan James go down, I mean, there's no literally no one they can put into those positions. And United, the United board is so cheap that they're not willing to, I guess, spend the money because they already know clubs know that they're vulnerable and they need players, but this is their fault. This is their fault. They let go of so many players this summer, but didn't bring anyone in for enough replacements. And that to me is just so frustrating because the board, it just, it really just seems like they just don't care what's going on on the field. As long as the, they keep collecting big paychecks from their sponsors and everything, nothing's going to change. And that to me is really frustrating as a Manchester United fan. And that's why so many Manchester United fans are, so frustrated on Twitter and even in real life, it's just pathetic. And honestly, I think, you know, there should be protests going on, going on with the Glaciers and Ed Woodward and everyone involved because it is really, it's up to them. It's their fault to, for the reason that the, for seven years, basically the decline of this club, it's basically all down to their fault. Hmm. I will say though, that Manchester United, are still in the top six, actually in the top five right now, tied with Tottenham on points. But even then, it is going to be difficult for United to even get those big-name players because they can only offer Europa League right now too. So 
when you look at the squad and you're thinking it's like, man, they really need, say, another striker. They really need some more depth in defense and center back in particular. You can't really point out any particular player that United can really get because, as Yosh mentioned, that they are a little stingy on the transfer budget. And also the, the fact that it's a lot harder to bring in a player if all you can offer is Europa League. It's in the promise of Champions League eventually. It's not really a guarantee anymore with Manchester United. So it's really a lot of uncertainty going on. And I can see why Yosh is frustrated, along with the results of come the last couple games but i still think united they're not completely in the dumps compared to like say an arsenal where arsenal they're still riding in 10th place like literally four points behind united and tottenham but i think united do need to start formulating a plan and that they're not really going anywhere right now and i kind of kind of echo what yush is saying in that it's just a lot of frustration for those United fans. But I think if they literally just have a plan or, as just says, hire a techn- technical director, I think they'll be in the right – a step in the right direction. But it's just nothing's really happening right now in terms of progress. I mean, I, I've, I've been kind of saying the same thing even sort of last year when Jose Mourinho was having all these problems. But I just have no confidence in this board that they will actually do the right thing because, you know – if all of a sudden they because they they've backed Ole for and you know they they're still con- continuing to back him until they get him the players that he wants but if all of a sudden results start to go super bad and they end up sacking him and they just bring in another person and they get like a little boost at a certain point i feel like the board and ed woodward have to kind of look at themselves in the mirror and realize why do we have to continue sacking and changing managers all the time there has to be a real reason as to why this is happening. And they have to look at themselves and say, you know, it's because we're just not competent enough to make these decisions. Um, And that's super frustrating because uh, Rio Ferdinand said the atmosphere against the Burnley game when he was there covering it for BT Sports, he said in that post-game interview, um, like his comments were basically, he's never seen Old Trafford like that. Like usually 85 minutes, no fans are ever leaving. Like he saw like, like so many fans just leaving the stadium. I mean, at a certain point after the game was done, there was a shot and like literally the majority of the stadium was just empty, empty seats. I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, And there was just multiple chants during the game just of Ed Woodward. And there was a chant that get up if you hate the Glazers and like everyone in the stadium basically got up. There's videos of it. It's just very, very toxic right now. And I feel like the fans have such a disconnect from the team that they really love to watch. There's such a disconnect from them and the board. And the problem is like, sure. Like the players may feel a little bit of it and the players do deserve some of it, but most of it is really just down to the board. And even if you see people like saying fire Ole, I kind of feel bad for him because I mean, if there was a proper person in place, they probably wouldn't have made the decision to make him full-time manager so quickly. They would have waited until the summer and see and explore all the possible options. But there was just no one in place to do that. And they kind of made a a decision based on emotion and instinct. And it really hasn't been paying off. And I do feel bad for him because he's a club legend. And I wouldn't want his reputation to be uh, re-ruined by his stint as manager because it seems like they just need someone else right now. But a new manager right now is not going to fix anything. It's really the board's fault. And it's very frustrating because 
I really have no confidence the board will change anytime soon because they continue making millions and millions of dollars profiting off the Manchester United name. And we've been saying this season that United have also been trying to rely on the youth and trying to bring out players from the academy and also bring in some. But you need some players. experience around they you. Do. So, do you think that now, after seeing in hindsight that the plan of bringing in or just using youth is more of a not is like it's kind of more forced rather than a choice. <sighs> I mean, it kind of is at this point kind of forced because I felt so bad because watching the game, United were losing 2-0 and they brought off, or no, they were losing 1-0 at the time, brought off Andreas Pereira and brought on an 18-year-old Mason Greenwood to score an equalizing goal. Mason Greenwood's amazing. I really like the potential he's showing. But as Manchester United, as a club that's, you know, in the past was achieving so many great things. You can't be relying on an 18 year old to rescue a season. And I think that's been the problem. There's not enough experienced quality players around, you know, in years past, you would have counted on, you know, a Chicharito, you know, an experienced player like that, that could come in and bring the goals that you need and look at Liverpool. They're not bringing on a 18 year old kid to save, like, you know, get a game winning goal. They're bringing on, you know, Divock Origi and like players like that who have experience, but I mean, that's the state right now. I think it's just a lack of... Qu- I mean, I look at it this way. In the summer transfer, window, they brought in three players. Daniel James, Harry Maguire, Aaron Wampasaka. And they let go of so many others. Like They didn't. They never bought a replacement for Romelu Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez, knowing that Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial um, were basically an injury away from them being so short of depth in that position. Yet they didn't bring anyone in. And I think that... It just speaks volumes about how bad the recruitment is, that there's just no plan. It's just, it, I, I just don't know what to expect. It's just so frustrating. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yes, I hate to break it to you, but this is going to be something that I feel like Manchester United took a risk in only having those strikers because not only are, you know, Martial, Rashford, and injury away from having a lack of depth, but also because they only have those forwards if they always play then there's higher risk of them picking up an injury because mm-hmm. of the amount of games they play and like the physical toll it puts on them so mm-hmm. i think at this rate i'm a little concerned that united also haven't been really busy this winter transfer window so i don't really think that united and are gonna you know be on the rise near the later half of the season unless miraculously everyone stays healthy because nope. they honestly need depth no, they need it badly. And honestly speaking, you know, Mason Greenwood out of all three of them looks like the more natural striker. Marcia and uh, Rashford seem, they th- seem to me like whenever I watch them play, they thrive way more when they're actually played out wide in a winger position. Um, it seems like when they play a striker, they get a little... I guess their talents aren't displayed as much when they play a striker. But um, what's also really frustrating as a Manchester United fan is it how long it takes them to complete a transfer because it just takes them years to do something in the transfer market. It'll literally, they'll negotiate with the club for like three weeks and then they'll finally buy them. I mean, I see Liverpool signing Minamino and signing their other transfers. I mean, it's like they're interested in someone, they make the negotiations, they sign them and like any other club, they're interested, they sign them unless it's like some crazy type of discussions that need to go on. But United always seem to be discussing with the club for weeks on weeks on weeks. And it takes forever for them to sign someone. And that's just, 
I don't know. I it's just frustrating. I I don't I don't I don't think I could talk about them much more because it just breaks my heart. And I, that Burnley game, I was just so sad. I was more. I was sad, but I was also very angry. It was a very angry sad. Like you're so angry, yet you're so sad. And then being on Twitter at the same time and seeing all those comments from every other supporting fans is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> I will like say, any. Yeah. Well, it, it is kind of set up to take on United and challenge United historically in the past few seasons where yeah. Burnley, you know, they've been the team to come in to upset United. So if there was a team, to, it would be Burnley. So it just seemed like a little bit unfortunate that United also came off two losses in a row to the impending champions of the Premier League and also a team that has just historically been able to defeat them. Yeah, and it was funny. I was looking at the rest of their schedule, and I honestly, at this point, with the lack of depth and the fact that they're just an injury away from really bad things happening to the squad, I honestly don't think they can beat anyone else on the on the rest of their schedule. But that's just me saying oh anything. My. But <laughs> you, have, you have continued to lose hope in your team. <laughs> <laughs> they have an FA Cup match against I don't even know the name of the team, but it's some League Two side. And literally everyone in the Manchester United like official count mentions basically said this is a big L incoming. Watch, they're gonna like prime Barca. Like any team that plays Manchester United are just gonna turn to Barcelona oh at this point. I don't I wouldn't be surprised if they lost, but I'm gonna move on because I'm gonna get just like angry if I keep talking about them because <laughs> they're just frustrating. Uh Chelsea Arsenal game finished two two. This game always ends up becoming a, a nice watch for everyone. Um Hector Bellerin scoring at basically at the final moments of the game and getting them a goal, but a big, big story there was Martinelli, uh, their young striker, scoring a, scoring one of the goals in the game. And, you know, we kind of mentioned with Aubameyang being uh, suspended, Martinelli was probably one of those players Arteta would look for to kind of step up. And to be fair, he slotted in a really good goal and being really composed to being 1v1 with the keeper. Mm-hmm. And it was a little of a shocker that Angola Conte slipped <laughs> And it, it kind of gave me PTSD because it was like a Gerard-esque slip from just midfield and then Martinelli was away. But this game was so bizarre because in the first 25 minutes, we saw David Luiz get a red card. because Not because of him in particular, but is mostly because of Mustafi. He had a terrible pass back back to Bernd Leno. And then literally Tammy Abraham was just there ready to intercept the pass back. And I was like, how is Mustafi still on the starting 11 and how's he starting over players like Rob holding is it doesn't make sense to me. And <laughs> for that to happen. And then he kind of put David Luis in a tough situation. Cause Burton Leno, of course had to come out from his box and then try to stop Tammy Abraham. And then Tammy Abraham just ran right past him. So David Luis just, just forced to take Tammy Abraham out in the box, grab the red card. And then sure enough to shoot themselves more in the foot Jorginho slotted his fourth penalty away this season. He kind of takes it like uh, Joseph Martinez from Atlanta United where he kind of saunters up to the ball and then does like a little hop and then just slots it away. So I don't know why. It seems always effective to do that. Maybe we should start doing that in real life. (laughs) (laughs) But sure enough, Chelsea looks like they're in control until, you know, they're literally just a comedy of errors from both sides so 
literally Dude, Bellerin scoring again Bellerin scoring a year and two days after he tore his ACL against Chelsea so that was a big story right there and also Bellerin being the captain of the squad this game it was a lot to take in but it was also a big result for Arsenal because them sitting in 10th place it could build some momentum that they managed to draw some points away from not only a London rival but also a top four opposition and maybe mm-hmm. it can help push them to challenge back the top six. Because right now, they're in a really weird position where it's like you don't usually see Arsenal that far down in the bottom of the table. It was like when we saw Chelsea near the relegation zone those few seasons ago during Mourinho's last season. And I was like, mm-hmm. holy crap, is Chelsea about to get relegated this season? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think this going to happen to Arsenal. I think they're still on the rise of Arteta and this result. They managed to pull through a draw despite going a man down so early in the game. So I give kudos to them. Yeah, they're only four points off. You Manchester United, I think, at fifth place. So, I mean, two wins and they're right in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like they just, you know, considering how different and how indifferent the form has been for the teams above them, I wouldn't be surprised if they start picking up some wins. They can jump and leap all the way back into, you know, the top half of the table and top six conversation. Um, Frank Lampard though with Chelsea right now it seems like no one would really catch them in terms of that fourth place spot it seems like Chelsea even though they lose a good amount of games they somehow find a win or a draw when they need to and it still keeps them in the top four race Um, I'm fearing maybe only Tottenham could potentially do that you know they just they're getting Hugo Lloris back so maybe that will help improve their defense and get them that leadership back so maybe that will spring Tottenham back into the top four race but right now um chelsea are just doing what they need to to be in the top you know b and secure that fourth place and that's a huge get for frank lampard in his first season Mm -hmm. and i will say that the other teams challenging for that top four position and manchester united of course tottenham and then wolves actually those teams all have some kind of well wolves in particular i would say actually have a pretty good chance because they just seem to be peaking at the right time of this season but Tottenham right now they're kind of missing Harry Kane more than usual when we saw them last season they're able to handle themselves pretty well without Kane but this season they haven't really been able to win besides this past weekend against Norwich who are in dead last but without Kane they've also been struggling to score and then Manchester United of course we don't need to bring that up again but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Chelsea right now I I still think that the top the last spot in the top four is still up for grabs but Chelsea right now seem to be in control of their own destiny despite us kind of writing him off in the very beginning of the season as like ah this is more of a Lampard's kind of test year where he doesn't really have too much expectations he literally just has all the youth players just thrown into the starting 11 and sure enough they're worked out and Chelsea's transfer ban is lifted this January transfer window but I mean, looking at them now, they don't really need to bring in anyone. So that was kind of yeah. ironic right there. Yeah, they definitely, uh, if they want to probably secure that place for that fourth place for the rest of the season, they probably should go in and buy someone and just help build the squad depth. But uh, kind of moving towards the latter end of the table, um, I think the question now will be on everyone's mind now is with who will get relegated. Um, and that. That type of fight right now will be pretty interesting because it seems, you know, obviously the I could just say it comfortably the title is pretty much wrapped up. No one's going to catch Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> top two 
<laughs> I know Tyler's happy. The second and third place, it seemed like they're kind of, you know, wrapped up. I don't see those two teams dropping too many points at this point where the other teams behind them can catch them. And the fourth place spot, obviously that's up for grabs, but relegation battle is where it's at. Bournemouth picking up a big win against Brighton after losing to Norwich over the weekend. Um, Eddie Howe finally getting a win and scoring three goals. That's big for them because Eddie Howe's teams are very offensive-minded, very attacking-minded. So for them to get three goals, I think that's a big confidence boost for their for their, um, for their their goals of trying to you know stay alive in the Premier League and be here for the next season. Mm-hmm. But despite that, Bournemouth are still in 18th place. And mm-hmm. I still say that right now from Brighton, Aston Villa, and West Ham... They are literally just two points above the drop zone. West Ham still have a game yet to play this game week, but it's against Liverpool. So I don't see them really getting anything from that game, honestly. So I think it's between these six teams and Brighton, Aston Villa, West Ham, Bournemouth, Watford, and Norwich in that it will be between those six. Someone's Three of those will get relegated because it's at that point in the season where there's starting to become a gap between mid-table and the relegation zone. Mm-hmm. And right now it's just li- they're literally just leapfrogging each other. And Aston Villa was in the drop zone, and then after this past weekend, they jumped out of it. So literally, they're just leapfrogging each other. I think Norwich right now. I'm not gonna stamp like the toast. Most likely, most likely <laughs> to be toast, but they're they're getting there because now they have the biggest gap, the lowest points at 17 points, and 19th place right above them with Watford is 23. So they're two wins behind. And mm-hmm. if Timu Puki being mainly the only player getting them the goals is not looking too bright for Norwich. And I think with Aston Villa, despite them losing their key players in Tom Heaton and Wesley, they brought in Pepe Reina. If you remember mm-hmm. Pepe Reina, yes. Yeah. For yeah, Liverpool former player, Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> really good player that I have a slight affinity for because when I started watching Liverpool, he was the main keeper at the time. So that was really cool to see him back in the Premier League. And of course they brought in uh, some, some Bamba from the, I think is, I believe it's the Belgian league. Mm. And they basically another (laughs) striker to hopefully bring him some goals because without Wesley, they are literally struggling right now to have a striker. Like they're using El Ghazi right now, and he's a winger. <laughs> so, but I do have to say, um, out of the the teams you mentioned, obviously West Ham have a little bit of quality. I think Aston Villa have what have something going for them is they have Jack Grealish, who is probably um, the best player that plays for either of these sides. I would say mm-hmm. right now, and Jack Grealish. He was supposed to be the main man for the team. Of course, he is the captain. And I was wondering where happened to big John McGinn, like the main man. I don't know what, what happened to him. I, I think he may have gotten injured. I think I he may so. have. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was literally the reason why Aston Villa was had any hope in the first half of the season. But now it looks like Jack, Leash, Jack Grealish has really turned up. And random players throughout the team have just kind of stepped up from Douglas Luiz this past weekend and also Konsa a substitute who just came on and got his goal taken away because Tyrone Mings's bottom of his cleat basically stole his <laughs> the trajectory of the yeah. shot and then it just gave it to Tyrone Mings. I was like, wow, that's kind of cruel. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's how it is. But, you know, back to Bournemouth. I think this game 
was a big win for Eddie Howe in that it was against Brighton, another team that's vulnerable to be in the drop zone. And also because they're in such a big string of losses, literally just like back-to-back-to-back losses in the Premier League, not getting any points, I think this could be a good jumpstart to hopefully bounce them out of the relegation zone because I don't think they should be there. I think they have enough talent on that team from Dominic Solanke, Harry Wilson, like literally the old Liverpool players right there. And then Callum Wilson, if he just gets a little bit of form, I think he can help provide a way out of the relegation zone through his goal. Nathan Ake. And Nathan Ake is back from injury too. So I think with like... He was a big miss. Yeah, he's a big miss. So I think that can be their way out for Bournemouth. But Mm -hmm. the other team that I see in this team of... Or in this group of six that's really surprising to be there, in my opinion, is West Ham. Ooh, yeah, I don't you know. thought they would get that big new manager bounce with David Moyes returning, but they they got I think two weeks of something good, but like now it's just it's just back to normal West Ham. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, so do you think West Ham is gonna be in this fight for the rest of the season, or do you think David Moyes of all managers is going to kind of get them out of that fight and put them back into mid table safety? Because you know the expectations for them this season was like upper half of the table or you know around 8th, ninth, 10th place not like a Sheffield United place. Mm-hmm. No, I I I think this one's interesting because West Ham obviously if you were to look at the teams they probably on paper have the most quality with the you know the the players and how well known they are with you know Felipe Anderson, Sebastian Allaire, um Manuel Lazzini, you know Fabianski, I mean they you can go on and on the list like they're proven players. They you know, there are pretty famous players, but, you know, we said with West Ham before that they kind of bring in players that have either were once, you know, out there to be considered the next great thing, but haven't really lived up to that potential and are now kind of riding the pine. And they have these players for some big wages. They bring them in and they're not performing as well as they would have hoped. And I think because of that mentality, I think they're going to be in this battle for the rest of the season because I still think that they still have enough quality to escape it, but I don't think they're going to be fighting for the rest of the season because I don't think the mentality is strong enough with the squad to get over the fact that, you know, at one point, a lot of these players were considered to be, you know, going to Real Madrid, going to Barcelona, playing for the best clubs in the world, and now they're at West Ham. No offense to them, but, you know... I just think they're lacking the mentality to, mentality to get themselves comfortably out of this posi- position. Mm, that winning mentality, as mm-hmm. you're trying to say. And yeah, I agree because like literally those players are kind of trying to mention is like Felipe Anderson, Sebastian Hallier, Jack Wilshire. Like th- these are literally big name players at one time. And like more recently, rather than like a long time ago, not, it's not it's not an Everton side. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, West Ham, they have a lot of potential if they can just unlock it, but it's just not really happening for them. It's right been now. their problem. Mm-hmm. It's been their problem since Dimitri Payet left. They That's just right. haven't been able to find that, you know, that that guy that can just do everything for them. They need They've him back. Been... They need Payet back. <laughs> I think the Premier League would love to have Payet back. Yeah, that dude was a beast. TBT um, but... free kicks. And all... Oh my yeah. gosh. But oh, to, those free kicks are amazing. I know. <laughs> but to <laughs> highlight the last team that we haven't really mentioned in this relegation fight, Watford. Watford did manage to get a nil-nil draw against Spurs. A listener of the Premier Pod, Sung Min, was at this game 
in England to technically watch Youngman's son. But, you know, in England, you have to be a supporter of the team in order to get tickets from local tickets, at least to get to the stadium. And it was at Vicarage Road. So he had to blend in as a Watford fan. Ironically enough, he sat near the front and managed to watch this kind of dreary game. But, you know, Watford did manage to pull up a pretty decent upset, in my opinion, in that they got a point from Jose Mourinho's side. But losing to Aston Villa 2-1 also, that was not ideal for Watford because they were on a string of good form in that once Troy Deeney came back, he was the main man, the main captain to really jumpstart this team out of this fight. But now here they are back again in the relegation zone, back in 19th place. So I think they will be a team that will just be continuing to hop in and out of the relegation zone. But I think despite that, it, it they look in better shape than they did in the first half of the season where it looks like mm-hmm. if this was a student at college, it was literally that student that like bombed all the first tests and then now that student has to like just bounce back and just get hundreds on the rest of all the assignments yeah. to make sure they pass. Mm-hmm. But right now, he, Watford's borderline, but they are on the rise. So it's really hard to determine which teams are going to get relegated besides Norwich. <laughs> yeah, so this is something I, you I, to keep watch of. I, I think there needs to be a couple more weeks, but I, I have a strong feeling that it will probably end up being Norwich, Aston Villa, and Brighton. Um, just because I have faith in Eddie Howe that he can get Bournemouth out of here. And Watford with Nigel Pearson, they're, they're you know, they're rolling with some nice energy right now, so I feel like that can carry them over until the end of the season. But with Aston Villa, um, I just wanted to mention that they have a young American that featured for their side. His name is Indiana Vasilev. Uh, very interesting fact here. His sister actually goes to UGA, and actually I've met her. Uh, I've talked to her a couple of times. She's really nice, so it's pretty cool seeing that her her brother actually got to get featured um, for Villa in the Premier League game over there. So that was Pretty cool for all American fans, all U.S. fans, and then some UGA people. That's pretty cool. So that was a cool little fun fact right there. But really, this was a kind of an odd week. There was a It was a double game week, so there were so many games coming in. Um, I quickly wanted to mention with Manchester City, Sergio Aguero, five games after returning from injury, seven goals, one assist. Uh, the man's been on fire, some great form. But like I mentioned, kind of an odd game week because there was a double game week and FA Cup weekends this weekend. So no games really to preview on our on our end. But, you know, a lot of storylines happening in the Premier League. Uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. I know it's been a short episode, but please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Um, and yeah, that kind of does it for us in this episode. Peace. Peace. Peace.